Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Jinx, the superfood-powered dog kibble everyone's been talking about. See the results for yourself and try their one-month transformation. Within the first few weeks, you'll see how Jinx can help with your dog's energy, mood, and even digestion. And it's all thanks to the high-quality ingredients they use, like organic chicken, Atlantic salmon, and grass-fed beef. Try the one-month transformation today. Find Jinx in your local Walmart. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. I'm your host, Otis Chirey. Tonight I'm trying something new. As you may or may not know, I've been narrating terrifying tales for many years, since long before this podcast launched. And over the past six plus years, I've told hundreds, many of which have never been featured on Scary Stories Told in the Dark, as I have a policy of featuring only new tales in the episodes of my weekly program. What this means, however, is that there are quite literally dozens of amazing tales I've never told over the years 
that may have never been heard, and which lie buried in the annals of my audio archives. Well, that's about to change. And with tonight's program, I'm starting a new series of bonus episodes. Each and every Wednesday, in addition to my regular weekly podcast release, you'll now hear two tales from my very own creepy crypt, which may be just new to you. In tonight's episode, for example, I'll be performing two stories for you about malevolent mothers and paranormal protectors. I sincerely hope you enjoy them and our new additions to your weekly horror programs. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy even more tales from my archives, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up as a patron today at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. There you'll get access to my audio archives dating back to 2012, including one-off stories and extended episodes of my podcast, all of them ad-free. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors. Turn your lights down low and settle in. The show is about to begin. (laughs) Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of Bram Stoker award-winning publisher, Crystal Lake Publishing, and author Josh Mallerman. In this tale, we take a journey through a woman's life, from childhood to adulthood, that provides insight into her self-perception, as bestowed upon her by her mother. Without further ado, I present to you, The One You Live With. Mom held her face and said, There's two yous, Dana, and there always will be. There's the you that you show to other people. The you who goes to school and goes to parties and meets people and talks a lot or a little, dances or doesn't. Then there's the you that you are inside. Now, since you're just a kid, the two yous are much closer together than mine are. You might not even notice the split, but it's there. You're just not smart enough yet to see it. And the older you get, the more that split is going to grow, breaking up the two yous until you hardly recognize the you you are when you're out of the house and the you you are when you're not. Now, I'm not talking about split personalities here, though, believe you me, they do live separately, the public and the private. To Dana, it looked like a cloud passed across Mommy's eyes inside her head. I think it's the best thing a person can do is to try and keep those two yous as close together as they can. It's hard. It's damn hard. But you gotta try, right? Because if you don't try, one of your yous might get up and do her own thing entirely without permission from the other. I've seen it before. It ain't pretty, Dana. I may even be guilty of having lost sight of one of my me's a time or two, but I've always got it back, back together, under control. You know what control is, Dana. Dana, five, shook her head no. Control is being the one who says where the two you's go and who they see and what they do with their day. That's control. None of this 
money power shit you're going to hear all about for the rest of your life. Real control is controlling the two yous, the one you show and the one you are, giving them permission. Do you understand what I mean? Dana shook her head no. Mom sighed. Well, it's like I said, you're a kid. Your yous are so close together you think it's all one cuddly person. But mark my words, girl. She tapped Dana's forehead with her fingernail. You are not alone in there. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you can go about taking control. Now go fetch Mommy something to drink. Dana crawled off the couch and crossed the living room. Mom had scared her good. All that talk about two people inside of her and that word control. Momentarily, she wondered if it was Mom still sitting on the couch behind her. So she paused at the entrance to the kitchen and spun to get a good look at her, to be sure. Orange juice, hun, Mom said, with just a wee splash of that vodka, or the other way around. You're the one fixing that drink, Dana. Up to you. On stage, in the school theater, singing soprano with six other sopranos, Dana wondered if this was really her. It didn't feel like her, singing this stupid song with all these other girls. It's not what she expected of middle school. Dana, twelve, wondered if the only reason she was in the choir was because Michelle said she would do it, and so here she was doing it. It was very Michelle to join the choir and the debate team and the track team and all that other stuff, but maybe it wasn't really Dana to do it. And yet, here she was. Dana! Mr. Terrence called, waving his hands, the signal for practice to pause. Dana stared back at him, silent. You're not singing! Dana thought she'd been singing. Wasn't she singing? And if she wasn't singing, who was up here on stage instead? Whatever this was, Mr. Terrence, Michelle, seventh grade, it wasn't her. I quit, she said. And the theater was very quiet as she left, as her stupid choir shoes clacked on the wooden stage and echoed all over the place like an exit that was much more dramatic than she was. She was drinking a beer on the front porch with a depressed maniac, wondering what she was doing here. She didn't necessarily enjoy this guy, yet she'd been coming over every other day for a month, or two. Might have been two. The numbers and time could get confusing when you were on your back, eyes closed, floating down the Universal River, letting life take you where it would when you didn't really make any decisions on your own, when you kind of went along with things and acted a certain way in front of other people, a different way than how you acted at home. What were you thinking about? The depressed maniac asked. He had a twinkle in his eye. She shook her head, or maybe it was more of an inside head, like she shook her head without him seeing her do it. Yeah, nothing. Nothing, he repeated. Then he laughed real loud, too loud, and part of Dana thought he was making fun of her. But another side of her guessed it was a funny thing to say. Nothing. I was wondering what I'm doing here, she said, 
she sipped her beer. The depressed maniac sighed deep. Oh, shit, he said. Are we about to have the talk? Dana didn't know what the talk was. We could have a talk, she said, but she didn't really want to. No, he said. He even held up an open palm, like straight out of a book on how to say no with your hands. We're way too early into this to start defining things. Dana smiled. Define things? She didn't think she could define things if she had the rest of her life to do it. Look, he said. If you're thinking we need to start calling each other girlfriend and boyfriend and all that jazz, I don't... Dana smiled again and hopped off the porch manister. Then she crossed in front of where he sat in the outdoor recliner and took the steps down the grass. There was still some snow lining the streets. I'll see you, she said, kindly, relieved too. Hey, the depressed maniac called after her. Hey, where are you going? Dana turned and waved goodbye. Part of her felt good about it, like she'd been uh, seeing the ending of the movie and so she didn't need to sit through the middle. But another part of her, like half, wondered at her own behavior. Surely sitting on the porch with that guy, spending time with him, her college years, wasn't her. But what about where she was going and what she'd do when she got there? Was that... Not her either. Dana was getting really pretty. It seemed to be happening fast. Every time she looked in the mirror, she saw someone who was prettier and prettier than the last time she checked, and more often than not, it was real hard to make sense of the person looking back. So this was her. All right. A pretty woman. 24 years old. She was aging well, as they say. As Mom said, and Mom had aged well, too. So, all right, this was her, and this was who her body was growing into, but it was hard not to impress a nervous smile every time she looked in the mirror. Like, maybe she was letting the person in the glass know that this wasn't really her. And it was nobody's fault, really. This was just her public her, the visible her, the one she presented to people the her she showed around the room. But really, she may as well have walked a dog and pretended the dog was her, for how close this blonde woman in the mirror was to being her. She liked this idea, like the idea of the dog. So she went out and got one. The dog, a golden retriever, was a good one. But he wasn't as simple as everyone said dogs were. It felt like to Dana that, over the course of the four years she had him, he was the only living thing that had ever noticed another person wedged inside of her. He looked at her funny, with a different shine in his eyes, on the days and in the moments she felt like someone else. Sometimes he even sniffed, like he could smell this other person in the room. Sometimes this scared her, part of her, like half and she'd smile and shake her head and tell him to get lost. That he was freaking her out that she should go play with a toy or something and stop staring at her like he saw someone else in the room and that someone else was sitting on top of her. Sometimes she'd call her mom when this happened, but mom was always out partying with friends, with a new boyfriend, someone, 
and she'd sound only mostly like herself on the phone, and she'd always ended up whispering the things she didn't want the other people around her to hear. Drunkish whispers. Things like, I'm fooling everybody in this place, and they have no idea. Dana would listen to Mom, hear her out, then hang up without ever really saying what was on her mind, what she was thinking about. That the dog she'd had for four years was getting more and more skittish, barking at nothing, sniffing the air, and staring at her with this stupid tilted head thing he did, as if asking her a question, as if asking, who are you that I live with, and who are you that's sitting on top of her? Aging well, yes, prettier at 31 than she was at 21, Dana imagined it made some people mad, but she just rolled her eyes, inward, thinking how nobody has any say in how big their nose is, how wide their eyes, how high their cheekbones. Some days she made herself ugly on purpose. She'd get some grease from the garage and run it up the sides of her hair, pour ketchup under her nose and over her lips, spin around real fast and look in the mirror again. These were exciting times when she did this, because in those moments, the person in the mirror truly looked like someone else, or at least someone other than the person she'd been watching growing outside her for 31 years. Then the phone would ring, or the dog would bark, and she would wash her face and get in the shower and clean herself up before returning the phone call, or seeing what it was the dog wanted so badly. She met a man in these days... The man liked the dog, and so he asked if he could pet the dog, and Dana said yes, believing she was the kind of person who said yes to questions like these. Then the man stood up and asked what the dog's name was. He doesn't have one yet, Dana said, smiling. She could tell the man thought she was pretty. No, did you just get him? Oh, no, oh, no I've had him for seven years. How could she know him to name him? The man laughed so hard that Dana wondered if he was going to be okay. Then his eyes settled on hers, and she knew he was going to ask her on a date before he did, and she decided she would say yes before she did. I don't mean to sound like a crazy person, the man said, but you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I'm Jason. Thank you, Jason. Not I'm Dana, because who knew? What's your name? Do you have one? More laughter, mostly on his end, but Dana laughed too, as it always felt like the right thing to do. She wondered if the man, Jason, felt like he was talking to two people. My mom named me Dana. Well, Jason said, your mom picked out a lovely name. Silence, then. The dog sniffed close to Dana, and she shoved his head gently aside. Would you like to get a coffee? Jason asked. Dana smiled. She could feel her high cheekbones lift the corners of her lips as if her mouth were a marionette, a well-built one. Yes, she said. Then she pointed to the coffee shop they were standing in front of. Here, right? Jason laughed again. He looked surprised. Well, I didn't mean right now, he said, but yeah, absolutely. Want to get coffee right now? Dana didn't know if she wanted to. Maybe a part of her did. The dog sniffed. 
Yes, she said. Jason held the door open for her to enter. Married nine years, and Jason always seemed like the same person. Sure, sometimes he got angry, sometimes he said things that were out of character, but eventually these things became part of his character, and Dana had a hard time believing his continuity. It must take a great effort, she imagined, to keep himself together like that. Sometimes she spied on him. When he was watching a movie or fixing himself a sandwich, sometimes Dana would crouch behind the kitchen island and peek up over the marble cup and watch him do things. Even in these moments, he rarely looked like anybody other than Jason. Sure, sometimes he appeared tired, but it was a tired Jason. The same floppy brown hair and loose lower lip. The kind look in his eyes. Sometimes Dana scared herself when she did this, when she spied. As if not only was she spying on Jason in the kitchen, but someone else was in the room spying on her, too. Like someone else was watching her watch her husband. And one time the feeling was so great that she actually popped up from behind the couch and said, Hey there! Just to not feel alone with whoever was watching her. Jason was scared good and laughed about it and asked if she wanted to join him for a movie. She said yes. They hadn't named the dog, a thing Jason cutely ascribed to half the reason they got married. The nameless dog. But the dog would always join them for movies. And sometimes Dana wondered if Jason called the dog in to protect himself. Protect himself from this other person who was watching Dana watch Jason. At 17 years old, the dog died. Dana was 41. No more sniffing. No more staring. No one around to make whichever Dana was present feel like the other Dana was the truth. At 50, Dana looked 15 years younger than she should have, and Jason would point out younger men who looked at her. He said he liked it, and Dana had no reason to think he didn't. Jason was very good at being Jason. But the cracks were showing, and had been for some time. Maybe it was a lift of one eyebrow, an unnecessary shrug, an exaggerated thing to say, like, Are you sure, Dana? Always are you sure, like Jason was just now seeing the open space, the gap in Dana, like he knew someone else was inside her, and he decided to love her too, a good man, good enough never to bring it up, good enough never to tell her if she wasn't acting like herself. The closest Jason ever said anything like that was on New Year's Eve. They were dancing in the very middle of the dance floor, and all of their friends and family were laughing and chattering and dancing, too, around them. And Jason had her close by her waist and brought her lips to her ear and said, What did your mom mean by, did you meet her yet? Dana could feel invisible fingers, someone else's fingers, lifting up the side of her perfect smile. She's old, Dana said but she wished she hadn't. For the first time in her life, she wished she just told Jason exactly what she knew Mom meant. And yet, it was true. Mom was old and drunk. Jason smiled. The way she said it, he said, I thought she was talking about an old friend. 
Then people started to count down, and Dana kissed Jason before the number reached zero, not wanting to be so definite, so defined. And the kiss was a good one. And later that night, long after they'd driven Mom home and eaten fish sandwiches at an all-night diner, they made love. It was good love, and Dana could tell Jason was happy. And yet, when he smelled her shoulders, smelled just behind her ear, Dana thought of the dog they once had, and wondered if Jason wasn't looking, searching his wife for that old friend Mom had drunkenly spoke of in public. A widow at sixty-six, but Mom was still alive. Dana went to the pet store shortly after Jason's death, but the cat seemed more perceptive than the dogs, and the dogs were too perceptive as it was. It was something of a bad experience for her that day in the pet store. She felt like all the animals were looking at the other people like they wanted to be taken home, but looking at Dana like they were scared or confused. Like they thought it was wrong of her not to tell Jason that night, that New Year's Eve, the truth about what Mom was talking about. Even the birds seemed to know it, seemed to say, That was your chance to bridge the gap, your chance to be a kid again. A worker at the pet store, a girl about 19, asked if she needed any help. Dana smiled at the question. Miss, the girl said before leaving her with the birds, can I just say that you are a beautiful woman? Dana smiled again, but she didn't say anything, didn't say thank you, because what did this girl know about whether or not Dana was beautiful? In that moment, quite suddenly, Dana had to hang on to the rack of birdseed for stability, to keep herself from falling. It was the furthest she'd ever felt the split, the biggest the gap had ever gotten. The feeling was so overwhelming that she believed momentarily that her neck might split open, that she might suddenly be torn in two. "'Are you all right, miss?' the girl asked. And Dana actually waited innocently, waited with the girl for whomever she'd asked to answer. Dana was singing in the backyard when a neighbor's gardener heard her and couldn't stop himself from walking over to tell her she had a lovely voice. The gardener was handsome, though Dana wasn't sure she knew what beauty was anymore. Wasn't sure she had a concrete opinion on anything, the way life presented all these different scenarios that asked you to be so many different people in return. But something inside herself told her the man was handsome and kind, and she asked if he wanted to come talk with her. He said he did, and so they sat at the deck table and talked. Do you ever think of joining a choir? the man asked. Dana shrugged. It felt good to shrug. Somehow, the simple gesture exemplified how she saw herself. I did once, she said. I sing too, the man said. Then he started to sing. Dana listened and wondered what she thought of his voice. Was it pleasing and romantic, or was it nasally and overdone? Part of her wondered if it mattered at all what he sounded like. Another part of her, like half, imagined herself telling him to stop. She wiped her forehead with a napkin. How old are you? the gardener asked. I'm seventy-nine years old. But was she? Yes, she finally agreed, seventy-nine years old. The gardener shook his head. 
I'm 67 myself. Had we met in another lifetime, we may have been great friends. Dana felt a concrete reaction to this statement. It was refreshing. Concrete. But we are meeting in another lifetime, she said. The man paused, thought about this, then laughed. <laughs> I like that, he said. I like we are meeting in another lifetime. Like the one I've been living hasn't been the one I've thought I was living all along. Dana smiled. Could almost feel a second mouth behind her own smiling for her. She'd been staring in the mirror for too long. Grease in her hair, ketchup under her nose, spinning, then staring into her face, eighty-something years old. She'd definitely been staring for too long because the woman who looked back was frightening. Not because she was ugly. No, n never. The woman was indeed pretty, had aged almost unfairly well. What scared Dana was the look in the woman's eyes, as though she was capable of doing different things than Dana was, able to move in a different direction. Might blink when Dana, on this side of the glass, did not. At one point, Dana had to bring her wrinkled hands to her face to stop herself from looking. She was so sure the woman in the glass was about to say something, about to move, even the slightest bit, showing herself completely for the first time. Dana crouched to her knees and ran her fingers through the grease in her hair, wiped the ketchup onto her fingers and looked at her fingernails. This was good, better than looking in the mirror. Dana was sure, as sure as she'd ever been of anything ever, that if she looked up, she'd see the other woman peering over the edge of the sink, eyes wide, wider than her own. This her, almost mockingly, as her lips moved independently and formed the words, Have you met her yet? She was in a hospital bed, and the nurses were very nice. They fawned over her endlessly, and loved the story about never naming the dog. They told her that 99 years was an incredible run. To Dana, it was more fitting than 100. She liked that. What she didn't like was that she was not alone. The unit held two patients, and the other one was quiet, too quiet, behind the curtain that divided them. "'Who's there?' Dana called often, and once a nurse told her it was a woman. The nurses helped in this way, helped Dana forget about this other patient, and how the curtain was kind of like a mirror, the way it split two images of two people, doing the exact same thing in dying. Maybe because the nurse asked about her childhood, Dana often recalled her mom, long after the nurses left the room. "'There's two yous,' Mom once said. "'And there'll always will be. "'There's the you that you show to other people, "'then there's the you that you are inside. "'Now, since you're just a kid, "'the two yous are much closer together than mine are. "'You might not even notice the split, but it's there. "'You're just not smart enough yet to see it. "'And the older you get, the more that split is going to grow, breaking up the two yous until you hardly recognize the you you are when you're out of the house and the you you are when you're not. I think it's the best thing a person can do is to try and keep those two yous as close together as they can. It's hard. It's damn hard. But you gotta try, right? Dana thought Mom was right. 
though it was the smartest damn thing Mom ever said. She thought about this talk a lot, and eventually she didn't want to think about it, but it kept coming back. One night, hoping for a distraction, she turned on the television that hung high up on the wall and dropped the remote control before she changed the station from static. It hit the floor. Still nimble, at 99, she turned onto her side to ring for the nurse to ask them to remove the static from the screen, to put something entertaining on, perhaps a program featuring a woman who was sure of herself. Before the nurses came, in the blue light of the flickering static, Dana saw a ripple in the curtain that separated her from the other patient, the woman, and saw a hand, two fingers, curl around the curtain's edge. Have you met her yet? And as the curtain was pulled aside, Dana smiled, all on her own, smiled because Mom was right when she said it was hard keeping them together. Damn hard, but you gotta try. And Dana believed she knew what she was going to say when the parting of the curtain was complete. She was going to say what she should have said on New Year's Eve 49 years ago, that it was hard, damn hard, but you got to try. Because there's the you you are at any given time, and the you you get and give with. The one you are often, and always the one you live with. And Dana would tell the woman on the other side of the curtain that she believed she'd tried. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Jinx, the superfood-powered dog kibble everyone's been talking about. See the results for yourself and try their one-month transformation. Within the first few weeks, you'll see how Jinx can help with your dog's energy, mood, and even digestion. And it's all thanks to the high-quality ingredients they use, like organic chicken, Atlantic salmon, and grass-fed beef. Try the one-month transformation today. Find Jinx in your local Walmart. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I hope you enjoyed The One You Live With by Bram Stoker, award-winning publisher, Crystal Lake Publishing, 
and author Josh Mellerman, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the story, please consider checking out and purchasing the anthology that's part of and entitled Gutted, Beautiful Horror Stories, A Disturbing Journey into the Beauty that Rests Inside the Very Heart of Darkness. The book contains 15 short horror stories and a poem which spans nearly every twisted corner of the horror and dark fiction genres. In it, among other things, you'll hear about a woman that experiences an emotional reckoning inside a haunted house, a man that awakens a vengeful spirit and learns the terrible price of settling scores, and a father that sees his daughter rescued after a cold case is solved, only to learn the tragic limits of his love, and much, much more. The Gutted Anthology features the most celebrated voices in dark fiction, including Clive Barker, Neil Gaiman, and Ramsey Campbell, as well as a number of exciting new talents. So pick up your copy today. You won't be disappointed you did. There's a link to the book in our show notes, truly. Up next, we've got one final round of frightening fiction for you. Our next terrifying tale comes to us from author Stephen D. Lewis. In this tale, we meet a young boy, afraid of the dark, whose loving mother crafts him a plush protector, intended to ward off the creatures of the night. But is there more to this danger-deflecting doll than meets the eye? Stay tuned and find out. Without further ado, I present to you Ichbar Bigelstein. When I was a small child, I was terrified of the dark. I still am, but back when I was around six years old, I couldn't go a full night without crying out for one of my parents to search beneath my bed or in my closet for whatever monster I thought was waiting to eat me. Even with the nightlight, I would still see dark shapes moving around the corners of the room or strange faces looking in on me from my bedroom window. My parents would do their best to console me, telling me that it was just a bad dream or a trick of the light. But in my young mind, I was positive that the second I fell asleep, the bad things would get me. Most of the time, I would just hide under the blankets until I became tired enough to stop worrying. But every now and then... I would become so panicked that I would run screaming into my parents' room, waking up my brother and sister in the process. After an ordeal like that, there would be no way anyone would be getting a full night's rest. Eventually, after one particularly traumatizing night, my parents had had enough. Unfortunately for them, they understood the futility in arguing with a six-year-old and knew that they'd be unable to convince me to rid myself of childish fears through reason and logic. They had to be clever. It was my mother's idea to stitch together my little bedtime friend. She collected a large assortment of random pieces of fabric and her sewing machine and created what I would later refer to as Mr. Ickbar Bigelstein, or Ick for short. Ick was a sock monster, as my mother called him. 
He was made to keep me safe while I slept at night by scaring away all the other monsters. It was pretty damn creepy, I had to admit. Honestly, looking back on it all now, I'm still impressed that my mom could think of something so strange and disturbing looking. Ichbar had the stitched-together look of a Frankenstein gremlin. The big white button eyes and floppy cat ears. His little arms and legs were made from a pair of my sister's black and white striped socks. And half of his face, that was green, was made from one of my brother's tall football socks. His head could have been described as bulbous. And for his mouth, my mom attached a piece of white fabric and sewed in a zigzag pattern to shape a wide grin of sharp teeth. I loved him at once. From then on, Ick never left my side. So long as it was after dark, of course. Ick didn't like the sun and would get upset if I tried to bring him to school with me. But that was okay. I only needed him at night to keep away the boogeyman, which was what he was good at. So every night at bedtime, Ick would tell me where the monsters were hiding, and I would place him near the section of my room closest to the spookiness. If there was something in the closet, Ick would block the door. If there was a dark creature scratching at my window, Ick would be pressed up against the glass. If there was a big hairy beast under my bed, then under the bed he went. Sometimes the monsters weren't even in my room. Sometimes they would hide in my dreams, and Ickbar would have to come with me into my nightmares. It was fun bringing Ick into my dream world, as he and I would spend hours fighting off ghouls and demons. The best part was, in my dreams, Ick could talk to me for real. How much do you love me? he would ask. More than anything, I would always tell him. One night, in a dream, after I had lost my first tooth, Ick asked me for a favor. Can I have your tooth? I asked him why. To help me kill the bad things, he said. The next morning, at breakfast, my mom asked where my tooth went. From what she told me, the tooth fairy didn't find it under my pillow. When I told her that I gave it to Ikbar, she just shrugged and went back to feeding my little sister. From then on, Every time I lost a tooth, I would give it to Ick. He would always thank me, of course, and tell me that he loved me. Eventually, though, I ran out of baby teeth, and I was beginning to get a little too old to be still playing with dolls. So Ick just sat there on my bookshelf collecting dust, slowly fading away from my attention. Over time, the nightmares, however, became worse than ever, so bad that they even began to follow me to the waking world terrorizing every dark corner or rustle in the bushes. After one particularly bad night, biking home from a friend's house where I swore a pack of rabid dogs were chasing me, I got home to find something strange waiting for me in my room. There, on my bed, standing fully upright in the soft glow of the moonlight from my window, was Ikbar. At first, I just thought my eyes were playing tricks on me again. They had been all evening, so I tried to flick on the lights. Another flick of the light switch, then another, and another, with no change to the darkness. It was then that I started to get nervous. 
I backed away slowly toward the door behind me, my eyes never leaving the shape of Vic's silhouette. My hand, awkwardly outstretched, behind, reaching for the doorknob. I was just about to get my ass out of there when I heard the door slam itself shut, locking me into blackness. In nothing but shadows and silence, I stood frozen in place, not even breathing. For how long, I can't say... But after what felt like a lifetime of cold fear, I heard this shrill, familiar voice. You stopped feeding me, so why should I protect you? Protect me from what? Let me show you. I blinked once, and everything changed. I wasn't in my bedroom anymore. I was somewhere else. It wasn't hell, but the comparison wasn't far off. It was some sort of forest, a horrible, nightmarish place, where partial embryonic abortions hung from the canopy, and the ground swarmed with carnivorous insects. A thick fog wafted through the air, and with it the stench of rotting meat, while chartreuse lightning flashed across the night sky. In the distance, I could hear the agonizing screams of something not quite human, My head throbbed like it was about to explode, the pain forcing out a river of tears. In my mind, I heard his voice again. This is what your reality would become without me. I felt earth-shaking footsteps approaching fast. I'm the only one who can stop it. It was behind me now, huge and angry, hot breath across my back. Bring me what I need, and I will. I woke up before I could turn around. The following day, I raided my parents' closet for my brother's baby teeth, giving them all to Ikbar. Almost immediately, the night terrors ceased, and I was, more or less, able to go on about my life as normal. From time to time, I would have to sneak into my little sister's room and snatch what was meant for the tooth fairy or strangle one of the neighborhood cats and pry out its sharp little incisors. Anything to ward off the visions. Anything from a shark tooth necklace to a cavity ridden bicuspid. I also began to notice that Ick would move about my room whenever I left for any length of time, rearranging my stuff and hanging additional curtains. He was even beginning to look more lifelike somehow. In the right light, his teeth would glisten, and he was warm to the touch. As much as he creeped me out, I couldn't work up the courage to just destroy him, knowing perfectly well where that would leave me. So I went on collecting teeth for Ick throughout all of high school and college. The older I got, the more things I would learn to fear the more teeth Ick would need to keep me safe. I'm 22 years old now, with a decent job, my own apartment, and a set of dentures. It's been almost a month since Ick's last meal, and the horrors are starting to crowd around me once more. I took a detour through a parking garage after work tonight, found a man fumbling with his car keys. His teeth were stained yellow from a lifetime of cigarettes and coffee, Even still, I had to use a hammer to get out the molars. When I got back to my apartment, he was waiting for me, on the ceiling in the corner, 
Two white eyes and a mouth of razors. How much do you load me? He asks. More than anything, I reply, taking off my coat. More than anything in the world. I hope you enjoyed Ichbar Bickelstein by author Stephen D. Harris, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this new weekly bonus episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Part of my plan to share some of the creepy tales from my extensive audio archive each and every Wednesday. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear more content from my archive, as well as premium extended editions of my regular episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs, or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next time, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at 
Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.